Well, today uh, we are going to continue a series that we began together last Sunday simply entitled Choose Life. Choose Life. And last week we began this series and we recognized, we said what we called a couple foundational truths. We recognized, number one, that life is the will of God and that death is the enemy of God. Life is the will of God. We, we looked at scripture last week, just a couple scriptures from the book of John, and we recognize that Jesus himself said, number one, he said, I've come that you may have abundant life, I've come that you may have eternal life, and I've come that you may have resurrection life. How many glad there's life in Jesus today? Come on, somebody. And he has come that we may have life, and life is the will of God, and death is the enemy of God that will one day be destroyed. Can I get an amen from somebody? We also recognized last week that the only way we can really choose life is we have to choose Jesus. And we talked about how that when we choose Jesus, it's only through accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. Choose Him. The Bible actually says there is a second death called the lake of fire where those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast and they'll spend eternity separated from God, not because God doesn't love them, but because they rejected Christ who died for them. And the Bible also taught born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. And if you're born again, if you're born twice, then you only die once. There's a natural death, but there's no longer a spiritual death because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can I get an amen from somebody today? So we kind of laid that foundational truth. I want you to look with me today in Deuteronomy chapter 30 because in Deuteronomy chapter 30, this is one of my favorite verses of Scripture in the Bible because it really sets the precedence for something. It teaches us something. It teaches us that once we choose Christ, which is the source of all life, then guess what happens? That choice to choose Jesus as our Lord, choice to choose Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And by the way, when you read the Bible, the Bible says we actually choose him because he first chose us right and if you're not in a small group right now let me just tell you we've got four small groups right now that are going through the chosen video series and you could connect with one of those small groups and get involved because we choose him because he first chose us and invites us to be a part of what he is doing in the earth but here's what we recognize in Deuteronomy 30 we recognize that once we choose Christ and we choose life, that one choice, accepting Jesus, now empowers us to continue to choose life. Life is not a one-time decision. Life is a daily decision that we make. The decision to accept Christ settles your eternity, but the decision to follow Christ on a daily basis determines whether you experience the abundant life now that Jesus Christ died to give us. And so the Bible says in Deuteronomy 30, as God is speaking to the children of Israel, look what he says. He says, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Therefore, choose what? 
choose life. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. I love that last phrase because that last phrase gives us an insight into something. That last phrase says, not only should I choose life for me, but if I choose life, I'm choosing life for me and my descendants. We talked this weekend at the encounter about generational curses, but how many know there are also generational blessings, amen, that we can pass on the blessing of God to our children and our grandchildren. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says the curse goes four generations, but the blessing of God goes a thousand generations. Think about that. You have the opportunity by choosing life to leave a thousand-year legacy of the blessing of God upon your children and your grandchildren so that it will reach those that you'll never physically touch or see in your natural body. So God says, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And then he says that you may love the Lord your God, verse 20, and that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him. Here it is. For he is your what? Your life. He is your life. So what we want to do over the next few weeks is we want to talk about what does it mean to choose life on a daily basis and how do we choose life. Once I choose Christ, now I want to choose life because I want to make daily decisions that are lining me up with what God desires to do in my life. And here's the good news. Jesus has already purchased everything that you need. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God has given us, given to us through his exceedingly great and precious promises, everything that we need for life and godliness. Think about that. Everything that you need right now and everything that you will ever need to live your life and to live a godly life, life and godliness has already been purchased and settled and made available to me and you through Jesus Christ. So once I choose life through choosing Christ, now I have access to these great and these precious promises, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we can access these promises and we can have everything that we need for life and for godliness. So everything you could ever need has already been purchased and paid for and made available to you through Jesus Christ. And now through the indwelling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, we can access by faith everything that we need to live the life God is calling us to live. So what does it look like for us to choose life? Well, I'm going to give you a thought today. Look at that first point. So we choose life when we choose faith over fear. We choose life when we choose faith over fear. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Think about that statement right there. That he who comes to God must believe that he is. That he is who? That he is what? That he is who he says he is. What is faith? Faith believes that God is who he says he is. Faith believes that God can do what he says he can do. And if God is who he says he is and God can do what he says he can do, then guess what? I am who God says I am. And I have what God says I have. And I can do what God says I can do. Because if I believe that God is who he says he is, who is the creator and sustainer of life, my redeemer, my healer, my deliverer, my strength, my shield, my hope, my life, my future. If I believe that he is who he says he is, then I have to believe that I am who he says he, I am because he is truth. And in him is no lie. And he is the fountain of life. And if I believe that he is who he says he is, 
then all of a sudden I come to God, the Bible says, by faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And not only do we believe that he is, but we believe that he is a rewarder. Think about that. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God never grows tired of your petitions. God never grows tired of the fact that you look to him. As a matter of fact, faith looks to God. Faith draws near to God. And you know what's powerful about believing that God is who he says he is? It, it, it liberates your soul, but it also liberates your relationships. Let me explain that to you. If you really believe that God is who he says he is, then you believe that he is the source of all life. He is the source of your joy. He is the source of your peace. He is the source of your happiness. He is your healer. He is your redeemer. He is your savior. He is your God. He is your closest friend. If you really believe that he is who he says he is, not only does that empower you, but it liberates you and it liberates your relationships. Because let me tell you what happens many times in our relationships. We start looking to others to do in our lives what only God can do for us. Think about marriage relationships. And how many marriage relationships have ended because you stopped making me happy? How many friendships have ended because you didn't meet the expectations? And you know, I thought we had this mutual understanding that we were going to be friends and it was going to benefit me and it was going to benefit you and I'm no longer being benefited by the friendship. So I don't know if I want to be friends anymore. And I'm not saying we should continue unhealthy relationships. But I'm just saying this. I'm saying that if we don't believe that God is who he says he is, then we put undue pressure on people to become something for us that they were never created to be. You guys have heard me share this example. John Maxwell talked about how his wife very rarely ever spoke in public. He said she loved working behind the scenes. He said, but one day they were doing a, a conference together and somebody asked his wife the question. They said, does John make you happy? And he said, I cringed on the inside thinking, what in the world is she going to say? And he said, she was so wise. She said, no, John does not make me happy. Jesus makes me happy. And John adds to my happiness. See, if you don't believe that God is who he says he is, then you'll actually make other people God. You'll begin to expect other people to be the source of your happiness and the source of your joy and the source of your satisfaction. And let me tell you what happens every time you do that. Every time you turn somebody else into God, you put an undue pressure on them that actually, crumples, that actually cripples your relationship instead of empowering your relationship. But if you recognize that God is the source of every good thing, that he is your hope and he is your happiness and he is your joy. And other people can add to, but only God can be the source of your joy, your peace, and your happiness. And when you realize that, it liberates you, but it liberates the people you're in relationship with so that you can have healthy relationships where we're not codependent on one another, but we are interdependent upon the Lord in such a way that we can love with the love of Jesus and be loved by others unconditionally because God is who he says he is. And I don't need you to make me happy. Now I like you. And I love you. And if you want to add to my happiness, I'll take all you got. Come on. But at the end of the day, I can't look to you to make me happy. I got to look to him to make me happy. 
Because I believe that he is who he says he is. He is the source of every good and every perfect gift. And in Christ, I am complete. And in Christ, I have peace. And in Christ, I have joy. And all of a sudden, there's a liberation that happens in our relationships because the moment you start trying to control somebody to get something from them that you think you need, you actually push them away. How many know that jealousy pushes people away? It doesn't draw them in. Manipulation and control pushes people away. It doesn't draw them in. And all of a sudden we recognize that faith believes that God is who he says he is. And guess what? If God is God, you're not and neither am I. And that's good news. Amen? And so he is the source of every good thing. So faith gives life and fear brings death. I want to make this statement about fear and then we're going to dive into this a little deeper I want you to understand that fear-driven decisions are always the wrong decisions. Fear-driven decisions are always the wrong decisions. When we make decisions out of fear, we are usually almost always making the wrong decision. And think about how many times you have heard or you have said something like this, well, you know what, I did this because I was afraid. I did this because I was afraid this was going to happen. And I did this because I was afraid this wasn't going to work out. And I did this because I was afraid something was going wrong over here. And I had to do something and I had to do something now because I was afraid if I didn't do something and do something now, I'm going to end up in a worse situation. And you know what I was thinking about my life this week? And every time I made one of those decisions... That I was afraid something bad was going to happen, so I did something to prevent the bad thing that was going to happen. And you know what happened? Something worse. <laughs> think about how that in fear, think about how that in fear, financial problems multiply. Have you ever been afraid you can't pay your bills? So you go get a loan. I'm afraid I can't pay the bills, so I'm going to go get a loan. And now I've got more bills that I can't pay. I'm afraid that our relationship is heading in the wrong direction, so I'm going to begin to manipulate and control you so I can pull you in. And in reality, I end up pushing you away. And so all of a sudden, we recognize that fear-driven decisions are always the wrong decision. Unless you meet a bear, then run, and that's okay. Other than that, fear-driven decisions are bad decisions, okay? So, let's talk about what this looks like. What does faith versus fear look like as I choose faith and resist fear? Look at that next point. So, faith gives us life because faith anchors us to God during the storms of life. Faith anchors us to God during the storms of life, but fear causes us to turn Away. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says this. It says this hope, speaking of our hope in Christ, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. Faith and hope in Jesus, guess what? It is an anchor for your soul. And faith anchors us to God. It anchors us to the Lord. It anchors us to the source of hope in the storms and adversities of life. And you know what Jesus said about storms? He said they come to everybody. 
Everybody faces the storms of life. Rich or poor, black or white, red or yellow, it doesn't matter who you are and where you've come from. Everybody faces the storms of life. The storms come. But faith anchors us to God in the midst of the storms. Faith anchors us to a steadfast source so that we cannot just endure but overcome the storms of life. As I was studying this and praying through this this week, the, the Holy Spirit just asked me a question. He said, Keith, he said, have you ever thought about what an anchor does naturally in a ship when it's in a storm? And I did a little Google search. How many of y'all thankful for Google? And I found out something. I found out that when a ship is on the sea in the midst of a storm, they drop the anchor off the front of the boat. And the purpose of dropping the anchor off the front of the boat is they want to anchor the front of the boat so that it does this. This is what it does. It keeps the boat facing the wind and the waves. The anchor keeps you facing the storm. It keeps you facing the wind and the waves. And that boat may pivot and that boat may shift, but that anchor at the front of the boat will keep it always facing the storm. Let me tell you what fear wants you to do. Fear wants you to get sideways in the storm. Fear wants you to turn and run from the storms of life. And every time a ship gets sideways in the storm, it gets capsized and destroyed and many times becomes shipwrecked. Think about how fear wants us to turn away. Think about how fear wants us to run from our problems. You're having marital challenges, so fear says, let's run from those problems. You're having financial problems, so let's run from those problems. We deal a lot with people coming through our Celebrate Recovery that are dealing with fines, and they're dealing with their past, and here's the challenge. It's really easy because of fear to run from your past. I don't want to deal with that. It's difficult. It's hard. It's challenging. It's going to cost me time. It's going to take extra money that I really just don't have, and so I'm just going to run from the storm. But guess what? When you run from the storm, the storm doesn't get better. It gets bigger. The marriage problems don't go away. The financial problems don't disappear. And the problems from your past just don't vanish. you got to face the storm. And it's our faith in Christ that anchors us in the midst of those storms so we can face it. We can face the adversity. We can face the challenge. We can face the difficulty. We can face the wind and the waves that are coming against us. Let me tell you why. Because you weren't created just to endure the storm. You were created to go through the storm. And faith brings you through the storms of life and brings you out on the other side. Don't allow fear to turn you sideways. Don't allow fear to cause you to run from the problems and challenges and storms of life. How many of you know that if like an ostrich you stick your head in the sand, when you pull your head up, the storm's still there. And it has gotten bigger. So faith anchors us to God during those storms. Look at that next point. Faith qualifies us. 
It qualifies me and you to do what God has called us to do. Fear causes you and me to disqualify ourselves, but faith qualifies us to do what God has called us to do. To do. The Bible says our sufficiency doesn't come from ourselves. Our sufficiency comes from Christ who has made us able ministers of the gospel. You are qualified to do what God has called you to do because God has called you to do it. That doesn't mean you don't need to learn. Doesn't mean you don't need a mentor or to be discipled. Doesn't mean you don't need to grow. But you are qualified to do what God has called you to do because God has called you to do it. You've heard the old saying, God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies those he calls. And it's your faith in God that he is who he says he is, that he'll do what he said he would do, and that you are who he says you are. It is your faith in him that qualifies you to do what God has called you to do. Whether that's loving and leading your family, whether that's building a business, whether that's launching a ministry, whether that's serving in the local church, whether that's praying for somebody or witnessing to a stranger at Walmart. Faith qualifies you to do what God has called you to do. In the book of Numbers, Numbers 13, many of you know this story. It's the story of the 12 spies that went to spy out the promised land. Two spies, Caleb and Joshua, came back and they had faith that God could do what he said he would do. Ten spies came back and gave a negative report. Listen to what the Bible says. Numbers 13, verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession of the land. Why? For we are well able to overcome it. Let's go up at once. Let's do what God has called us to do. Let's possess the land. God said he was going to give us a land flowing in milk and honey. God said we were going to live in cities with houses we didn't build. We were going to drink wine from vineyards that we didn't plant. We were going to drink water from wells we didn't dig. He said, let's take the land. We are well able to do what God has called us to do. The only thing that qualified the children of Israel to do what God had called them to do was faith in the fact that God had called them to it. Faith qualifies you. It qualifies you to do what God is calling you to do. All Caleb and Joshua had that the other ten didn't have is they had faith. They believed that God is who he says he is, that God will do what he said he would do, and that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And that I am qualified to do what God's calling me to do because God called me to do it. Causes us to disqualify ourselves. And I want, you to, I want you to see that statement again. Fear causes us to disqualify ourselves. Fear doesn't disqualify us. Let me be really honest with you. Everybody that does something they've never done before faces fear. Every time you do something you've never done before, there is an element of fear that you have to face. Every time you step into something you've never stepped into before, there's an element of fear that you've never faced. Every time you're confronted with something you've never been confronted with before, there's an element of fear that faces you. God does not disqualify you because you're afraid. Fear causes you to disqualify yourself. When we are afraid and we still do what God is calling us to do, Joyce Myers calls it, you got to do it afraid. 
He says, if you're going to do what God's called you to do, you're going to have to do it afraid because you're going to have to face the fear of your own heart and the fear of the unknown to step into what God has called you to. And she said, when you do it afraid, guess what? I believe this. I believe when you do it afraid, it pleases the heart of God. I believe it pleases the heart of God because he sees our faith overcoming the fear that's in our heart. Anybody that will tell you they've never been afraid is somebody you can't trust. Because we all face fear. So fear doesn't disqualify us. Fear causes us to disqualify ourselves. We take ourselves out of the game and we say we are not able. Listen to what the children of Israel said in verse 31. It says, but the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able. We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Caleb said, we are able because God is with us. And if God is with us, then who can be against us? But the other ten spies says, we are not able. They disqualified themselves. Let me tell you a little funny story about myself so here recently, you guys know, if you've been watching on, on social media, I've been riding my bicycle, and, and I'm actually training. I'm going to do a bike ride, 180 miles, I'm going to ride across the state of Florida in the first week of November. And so I've been training, getting ready to do this 180-mile bike ride across the state of Florida. And so somebody gave me a, a new bike, a very nice bicycle a couple years ago. And so I got this nice bike, and I've been riding this bike, and I've been training. And I've been training with Pastor Todd. He pastors the First Methodist Church here in Arab. And Pastor Todd's been after me for a couple months. He said, man, you gotta, you got to get rid of them regular pedals on your bike. you got to get those clipping pedals. He said, if you'll get those clipping pedals, you're going to go faster, you're going further. It's just going to be great. It's going to elevate your, your ability to do what you're doing. And so... He finally talked me into it. So about a month ago, I go to his house. He says, come over to the house. He said, we'll get those clip-on pedals on your bike. And he said, we're going to get out in the yard in the grass because you're going to fall. <laughs> and he wasn't saying I was going to fall because he was being negative and he didn't have faith. He was saying I was going to fall because how many know that falling is part of the process of succeeding? A child never walks until they fall. A child never goes from walking to running until they scratch their knee a few times. Why? Because there is a process of success in which you're going to have to fall down and be willing to get back up. So I go over to his house early that morning, and I get over there, and uh, I got my clip-on pedals. I got my little fancy shoes with the clips in them, and I get on that bicycle, <laughs> and I can't even clip my foot in the pedal. And I'm clipping, and I'm clipping, and I'm clipping, and nothing's working. I think, well, maybe if I start pedaling, and then I can clip in, and I start pedaling, and I can't clip in. And so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not two minutes into this thing. And two minutes in, I'm already thinking, I can't do this. This ain't worth it. I've been riding my bike for months without these pedals. Why in the world do I need these new pedals? I can't even get my foot in the clip. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to quit. It's not worth it. But I pressed through that. Finally, after a couple minutes, I finally got that pedal clipped in, and I started riding my bicycle around the yard, and then I had to stop. <laughs> and I couldn't get my feet out, and I fell over and hit the ground. So then I get up and I clip back in my pedals and I start riding and I ride around and I get ready to stop and I still can't get my feet out and I fall over again. So finally the third time, I clip in, I pedal around the yard, I get ready to stop and I get my left foot out and I stop and I'm like, whoo I mean the angels singing, I mean. 
And I rode 15 miles that day with them little clipping paddles. And, and the next week I went to do a 30-mile, I actually went to do a 60-mile bike ride by myself. And I was 30 miles into it, and I was coming into where my truck was. I was going to take me a water break and, and eat me a snack. And I come pulling up my truck, and I unclipped my left foot just beautifully. And I leaned to the right. And I got the scars to prove it. <laughs> but what I want you to know is two minutes in, fear was already trying to disqualify me. Two minutes. This is too hard. I can't do this. It's not worth it. How many times have you allowed fear to cause you to disqualify yourself? You're not disqualified because you're afraid. But if you don't check that fear with faith in a God who is, then that fear will cause you to make choices and decisions where you actually take yourself out of the game. And by the way, I have fallen a couple other times since then. I've got road rash on my road. I told Kelly, I said, that's going to make some good stories one day. I can't wait. Faith qualifies you. Fear causes you to disqualify yourself. Look at that next point. Faith sees the eternal, but fear focuses on the temporal. Faith sees the eternal, but fear focuses on the temporal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. How many know faith renews your inward man? Faith renews you. Though our outward man is perishing, though there's persecution and though there's resistance and though there's opposition, and let me tell you, anytime you start to live by faith, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be resistance that's going to come against you. But faith renews you. Though we're dying on the outside, Paul says, I'm being renewed on the inside. Why? Look what he says. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. Let me tell you this. When you step out in faith, the resistance and opposition you face actually works for you, not against you. Paul said, our light affliction. And when he says light affliction, if you read the Bible, you find out it was anything but light. He was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was imprisoned. Not what I would consider light afflictions. But Paul says these light afflictions that are just for a moment, think about this, are working for us. The resistance is making me stronger. The resistance is building me up. It is working for us. Look what he says, creating for us a far more exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. When you live by faith, when you step out by faith and that resistance comes, it is that which is pressing against you that actually empowers you and works for you to create a greater reward. How many of you know we're not living for this life? How many band of brothers in the house today? Any men in the house today? If you're a band of brothers and you know this, you know that part of the creed of what it means to be a man of God is that we are living for the greater reward, God's reward. 
Faith sees the eternal. Fear focuses on the temporal. Faith sees the prize of what is ahead. Faith sees the realization that on the other side of the trial and the tribulation is the prize of God's glory. I had an opportunity this morning, 8 o'clock service. Uh, we had several folks from our Holly Pond campus. We had several folks uh, from other ministries that went through our encounter this time. And one of the guys that was from one of the other ministries over in Coleman County, he was in our 8 o'clock service this morning. And Friday night, he got born again. <laughs> and then he got set free. And then he got baptized in the Holy Spirit last night. I mean, he had a role. I mean, his first 24 hours of Christianity were amazing. And during 8 o'clock service this morning, he came up for prayer with me. And he said, Pastor Keith, he said, I just want to play. He, he said, I want us to pray. He said, I was so lost. And I was so deceived. I didn't know how lost and I didn't know how deceived I was. He said, I want to pray for those people that are out there that were just like me. I thought, man, 24 years old in Christ. And he's already got an eternal perspective. 24 years, not years, 24 hours old in Christ. And he already has the faith of Christ that looks beyond the temporal and sees the eternal reward of what we're really living for, guys. Paul goes on in that scripture in verse 18. He says, for while we do not look at the things which are seen, but of the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, which simply means they are subject to change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now look at that last point. We're going to wrap up with this thought here today. Faith not only anchors us to God, it not only qualifies us to receive and live the life that God has called us to live. Faith not only gives us an eternal vision, but faith releases the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. But fear quenches the Spirit and grieves the heart of God. Every time you allow fear to be the dictator and the ruler of your life, fear quenches the Spirit. Fear grieves the very heart of God. Why? Because fear and faith don't work together. And so all of a sudden we recognize, listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy. What a beautiful scripture. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, talking to Timothy. He says, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. So here we see that generational blessing. His grandmother had faith, his mother had faith, and now Paul says, Timothy, I see that same faith in you. It's a genuine faith. He says, verse 6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Look at verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of what? God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Everything in the kingdom of God happens by faith. Everything in the kingdom of God happens by faith. And if you're going to walk in the spirit, you're going to have to walk by faith. And guess what faith does? Faith releases the power of the Holy Spirit. This weekend, we saw literally the lame walk. We saw lost souls saved. We saw people in bondage set free. We saw hurts healed. And we saw the power of God move. Why? Because people simply believed. They believed that God is who He says He is. He's a God of power. He's a God of love. 
He's a God of love. When we, when, we, when we live by faith, it releases the love of God. The Bible says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And as we walk by faith, man, it just, it just stirs up love on the inside of us. A love that we get to experience from God, but a love that we get to give to other people. Jesus specialized in loving the unlovable and touching the untouched and reaching the unreached. That was the heart of God, and it still is. And when you begin to live by faith, guess what will happen? Faith will challenge you to love people you normally wouldn't love and reach people you normally wouldn't reach and care about people you normally wouldn't care about. Shane, who just Friday night accepted Christ, had a burden on his heart this morning to see people that he didn't know, but he knew they were just like him, come to Christ. Why? Because by faith, we release the power of God. By faith, we release the love of God. By faith, we release the sound mind of Christ. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. We have the mind of Christ. You can know the will of God. You can discern the direction of the Lord. You can walk in His path. How do you do that? By faith. By faith you believe that He is who He says He is. That He'll do what He said He'll do. And that you are who He says you are. I want us just to bow our heads today. And I want to just challenge you this morning. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I know I've chosen life. I've chosen Jesus. I'm born again. I've been saved. But maybe you realized something this morning. Maybe you realized that you've been living by fear and not faith. That you've been making fear-based decisions, not faith-based decisions. And maybe you've been running from some storms. And maybe you've been disqualifying yourself from what God wants to do in you and through you. And maybe you've been so focused on the temporal that you've missed the eternal prize of why God has really called us to himself. And maybe today you say, Pastor Keith, I want to break that spirit of fear off my life. I believe God has not given me a spirit of fear. And today I want to break that spirit of fear off my life. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. I want to break the spirit of fear. I recognize there's some areas in my life where fear has ruled over me. I want to break that spirit of fear. Hands all over the place. Just lift your hands for just a minute. I want to break that spirit of fear. I want to break that spirit of fear off my life today. I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to disqualify myself. I don't want to run from the storms. I want to face the storms and come out on the other side. So, Father, I thank you right now that you see every hand. And in the name of Jesus, as you leave your hands up, I just renounce and break the spirit of fear. I want you to say this with me. I command the spirit of fear to leave me now in the name of Jesus. I renounce and break all agreement with the spirit of fear. Faith is a victory. That overcomes the world. And I believe that God is who he says he is. And I command that fear to leave me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a little hand clap of praise.
I want to do one other thing before we dismiss today, and we do this every Sunday because I believe we have an obligation before the Lord. That anytime we share the gospel and open the word of the Lord, every time we gather together, I believe there needs to be an opportunity for those who have never chosen life through Jesus to choose him. I don't know your heart. I don't know your life. I don't know where you're at today, but I know this. If you're only born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born again, the Bible says that sting of death will never touch you. So right now, just with every head bowed one more time, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never been born again, and I want to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day, and I want to ask him to come into my life, be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, just raise your hand. I've never been born again, but I want to be born again today. If you're watching online, you can hit that hand emoji. You can type in that chat box, I'm raising my hand. We want to pray with you today. If that's you, just lift your hand. Lift it high. Just hold it up high right now. Hold it up high. We're about to pray together. As you lift your hand, our ushers are going to come. They're going to put a little packet in your lap. We want to give you a resource just to help you take that next step. Raise your hand. We're coming. Our ushers are going to give you a packet right now. We're going to help you. We want you to take that next step in following Jesus. I want to be born again. What a beautiful moment right now. So for those of you that have raised your hands and everybody in this room, let's pray this prayer together. Let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. We love you. On the front of that packet we gave you today, there's a little card. I would personally love to follow up with you and just congratulate you on your decision to follow Christ. Inside that packet is a little information about what your next steps should be in following Jesus. We love you. We're glad you're here today. Make sure to stop by the Information Center to adopt a coat. If you want to sponsor a hoodie, they're $35 a piece. You can do that in our app, on our website, or you can drop a check in the offering next Sunday. God bless you guys. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen. Woo! Woo.